Welcome to Data-Based Projections. Data is often the basis for how we see the world and how the world sees us. Understanding these data-based projections is the focus of this podcast, which discusses topics related to data analytics, machine learning, and data science. Produced and hosted by Jim Harris. I have spent most of my 25-plus year career in enterprise data management focused on data quality. In a previous episode, Data Science, Then and Now, I revisited a conversation recorded with an actual data scientist at the beginning of the data science hype cycle nine years ago, since most of those insights are still relevant today. Just before the beginning of the data science hype cycle was the big data hype cycle. At that time, I had the privilege of sitting down with Tom Redman, more formally known as Dr. Thomas C. Redman, a.k.a. The Data Doc, because he has a PhD in statistics. Tom and I discussed whether data quality matters less in larger data sets, if statistical outliers represent business insights or data quality issues, statistical sampling errors versus measurement calibration errors, mistaking signal for noise, in other words, mistaking good data for bad data, and whether or not the principles and practices of true data scientists will truly be embraced by an organization's business leaders. This episode is an edited and slightly shortened version of that discussion, which even though it is from 10 years ago, I think it still provides good insight into big data quality, then and now. Tom Redmond, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jim. Tom, one of the big words that we seemingly can't get away from in the data management industry uh, recently has been big data. And although Gartner Research and others are helping to advise people that it's more than just data volume, there's been one interesting point that people have been bringing up in some conversations. I think in this case might even be an abuse or, or misunderstanding of a statistical concept, which is why I'm so thrilled to have an opportunity to talk to you since you have a PhD in statistics. And the, the concept that I'm hearing is that in larger data sets, data quality is less of an issue. Some advocates of big data solutions are saying that with big data, we don't have to care about data quality as much. So I was wondering from your perspective on that. Thanks, Jim. That's a good question. I've seen some of that. And my initial reaction is to be very skeptical of any claim that data quality doesn't matter in big data. As you know, I mean, I spent the first 10 or 14 years of my career really as a professional statistician, and, and I don't want to make this any simpler than it really is, but it's kind of like three kinds of analyses you do when you're out there searching for new things in data. The inferential issues when you're looking for something new in data are so consequential. You make a small mistake, and because you're inferring about other things, the, the mistakes can be large. Sometimes you're kind of searching around to understand mean or, or average behavior, and then if the, the pattern of errors is equally distributed about the mean, then those who are saying data quality won't matter may be right. On the other hand, if the pattern of errors is biased in some direction, then small data or big data, the errors are going to skew the, the mean and are going to skew your understanding and going to skew your inference. The second kind of analysis you, you may do is, is loosely you're looking to try to understand variation. 
And there again, patterns of errors can affect things in different ways. So I'm, I'm a little skeptical of claim there. And then the third kind of analysis you're trying to do is, is where you're really searching for the outlier. And it seems to me there that data quality issues just hammer any kind of security you could have that you've really found an outlier. So especially in those kinds of analysis, I'm very, very skeptical about the claim that data quality doesn't matter in big data sets. I think there's a general perception that a lot of us in the data quality industry have struggled with for a long time that people assume that they don't have data quality issues or if they do have data quality issues, they don't have a significant amount of them. But for some reason, they think that when the data volume scales, the data quality issues don't scale with them. So like a very simplistic metaphor would be if you had a gallon bucket of water and you poured a teaspoon of colored dye into it, you would be able to see that colored dye swirl around in the gallon bucket and actually change the color of the water a little. But if you pour that same teaspoon of colored dye into a lake or to an ocean, the colored dye would disappear very quickly and it would not change the color of the water at all. So sometimes I think people think, well, that's why data quality issues just sort of wash away or normalize away because they somehow think that it's still going to be that small amount of error, but in a larger data set, it just floats away as if somehow the amount of error doesn't also increase with the amount of data. Does that make sense? I think that's a good analogy, and, and indeed, maybe people are thinking that seems to me that you know, when you have small amounts of data, people are thinking that usually those data sets, those, that data is created by hand, you know, people entering forms or whatever it may be, and, and the errors in there are the equivalent of the teaspoonful of, of dye you just mentioned. But when you're gathering big data, the, most of that data is gathered automatically. They're by uh, measurement equipment that's, that's looking at a process or gathering data from some sort of social media or, or something like that. And so the red dye that is the equivalent of the fat finger will get diffused. And, uh, but of course, I mean, there's other sources of error in data that's generated automatically. You know, is the, is the measurement equipment calibrated properly? Are you getting a complete set of the, of the data in the social media? Media site. At least from my experience at Bell Labs, the old expression that the air is human, to really foul things up requires a computer, seems to hold. When we looked at data that was that was automatically gathered and you know billing systems and and things like that, you know when it was fine, it was fine, and and then when it got fouled up, it, massive quantities of it were fouled up as well. So, I don't know, Jim, maybe the analogy is in big data, indeed, the fat finger stuff is like a, a teaspoonful of red dye in the lake, but the machine-generated stuff is the spillage from a binary and the, the raw sewage from a city and, the, and stuff that get dumped in from people trying to get rid of things, and, and there's lots and lots of sources of pollution in, in that case, and they're just massive. I agree, and I definitely want to come back to your points about measurement calibration and also outliers. But before we move on ahead, one other question. One of my favorite commercials growing up was four out of five dentists agree that sugarless gum is good for your teeth. I always used to jokingly make fun of that commercial by saying four out of five dentists agree that five dentists is not a statistically valid sample size. <laughs> when we talk about big data, sometimes people, I think, either abuse or misunderstand what sample size means to statistical analysis. 
But obviously, if the sample size is too small, any inferences that you make on that data are, are going to be pretty weak. And people say, well, we need to look at massive amounts of data so that we can make better inferences, so like in terms of social media. We can make better predictions of customer behavior because we're looking at so much more data. Because people use the term, and again, I'm not a statistician, so I probably don't use the term correctly either. What does it really mean to have a statistically valid sample size? The classic inferential problem goes something like this. We have some population that we want to make some inference about. Could be a population of shoppers or potential shoppers. It could be a population of people who are likely to vote. It could be any kind of population like that. And the population is large and diverse. And in order to make some inference about the population, we gather some sample. And hopefully, we're able to gather the sample from the population. And in certain cases, it's not possible to do that. So the thing that you want to do is you want somehow to draw a sample that is big enough that in some respect at least represent what's going on in the population with respect to the things that you're interested in and is small enough so that you can, can do the work economically. And so when you talk about sample sizes, you're really talking about what is the right size so you can draw valid inferences from the sample to the entire population. In doing this, I, I kind of developed a rule of thumb, and it may not be exactly true in any situation, but it's kind of a useful way to, to get started trying to identify the sample. There's two kinds of errors going on. The sampling error, which is the degree that the sample itself is reflective of the population. And then there's the measurement error, which is how well the equipment worked and the overall process of, of getting the data in and so forth. And a lot of statistics is about doing the work to keep the sampling error small. And data quality is about keeping the measurement error small. And the thing I found as I was doing work in data quality in this area is a lot of times when you started out, the measurement error was 10 times the sampling error. And the groups that were doing the work were more concerned about the sampling error than the measurement error. So they were spending their cycles on all the wrong things. And the whole process of making the measurement, getting it in, making the, the inferences from it was, was where there were far, far bigger errors than over on the sampling error side. This sort of underscores your point about data quality being a big deal and big data. It's an excellent point because I agree most people do have a tendency to discount the measurement aspect of it. Although sometimes I think the sample is intentionally skewed or misled because we see this a lot with percentages given in popular opinion polls saying, you know, 78% of respondents said, but they very rarely tell you, well, how many people did they talk to? Was it 100? And depending upon what the topic was, that might not be a diverse enough population to really reflect any type of meaningful popular opinion on that particular topic. That's a great point, too, and there's two things going on. First of all, you don't know how big the sample of respondents is, and the second thing is is the respondents are, are self-selected a lot of times. So on a news article, there'll be a link that says, go take this survey here. The sample, then, of people who responded is by no means a sample of the general population at large. And first of all, in the general population, most people aren't reading the article. And secondly, even those who do, there's some bias in those who elect to go out and respond to the survey. I definitely agree. Again, it comes back to the point that most people aren't as good at math or as knowledgeable of statistics and just get lulled into 
lies, damn lies, and statistics? <laughs> <laughs> I think Mark Twain said that. Yes, I think so. So yeah, it makes statistics say anything you want. And some people think that that means that statistics is some type of a pseudoscience. But what that means is that you can make statistics say anything you want if you misuse statistics. That's right. I mean, the tools and statistics are the tools of statistics. And what you get out of them depends on who's using them. But we digress a bit. Exactly. But it was a good digression. Well, the points I wanted to come back to in the data quality issue was you mentioned measurement calibration and outlier analysis. And there's a science experiment that's getting some relatively decent attention in the popular press. And it actually was an experiment that was conducted back in September of 2011 on a project called OPERA, which is an acronym for Oscillation Project with Emulsion Rack Apparatus which is actually a physics experiment run by the European Organization for Nuclear Research that we all usually refer to by the acronym CERN, physics laboratory in Switzerland. And they were doing an experiment where they were sending neutrinos, which are tiny atomic particles, to another facility that was located in Italy. And the reason that this rather obscure scientific experiment got a lot of attention in the press is that they initially released their results and they believed that they had discovered neutrinos that were capable of traveling faster than the speed of light, which more than a century in physics has been considered a universal speed limit. It wasn't like they exceeded the speed of light by 100 miles an hour. It was 60 billionths of a second faster than they thought it should have gone. So it was this tiny, tiny, tiny measurement But they released their findings, and the big question was, is this outlier, this unexpected result, is this a data quality error, or did we actually discover some major scientific breakthrough? So I think when we talk about data quality not being important in big data, they then turn around and talk about the importance of outlier analysis. So like in the case of financial data, maybe outlier analysis helps us to identify fraud. In the case Mm -hmm. of national security, outlier analysis can help identify terrorist activities. So these sort of unexpected observations in the data set could alert us to something insightful, but these unexpected observations in the data set could also be a data quality error or a measurement calibration error, and how do we tell the difference? Right. I think you brought up three terrific examples. I'm not really caught up on the opera one, although I do remember seeing something in The Economist three or four months ago on those results. Your examples all show when you're really looking for outliers, you just can't tolerate errors in the data. Maybe patterns of errors that you can tolerate, but if something pops up, you've got to be pretty darn sure it's indicative of what you're trying to discover. Otherwise, you've just completely subverted the whole purpose of the analysis. It seems like people are trying to use the same exception to exclude the consideration of data quality to point out the value of big data, that the outliers are the insight that we're really after. (laughs) Right. I don't know if it's lost on them that they're trying to use the same exception or, again, they're just trying to maybe sell their software or services that is offering that particular type of analysis. Sometimes it's difficult to cut through the, the marketing jargon. Someone at a recent conference actually made, and this may have been slightly misquoted, they would rather have a large amount of bad data than a small amount of good data. And I think that the point that they were, I think, trying to make was that, yes, there's always going to be a lot of potential noise in any signal, but they figured that you know, the more data you look at, the greater the chance that you could detect some signal. But with all of that noise, how are you really going to be able to tell whether or not that signal that you think you found is actually something that represents good data or, or bad data? One of my favorite examples of the noise versus signal argument actually comes from AT&T Bell Lab. Apparently, I like physics a lot because this is another physics experiment. 
Robert Wilson and Arnold Penzias were testing a new radio telescope at AT&T Bell Labs. They decided to point it out into deep space because they thought they would get a nice silent signal so that they could calibrate their equipment. But when they did that, they started hearing this very noisy, what sounded to them like a bunch of static. And their initial assumption was that there was something wrong with the telescope. And for more than a year, they actually functioned you know, off of that assumption. And even at one point, according to, which this might be a somewhat apocryphal story, but at one point they surmised that maybe it was the accumulation of pigeon poop on their telescope that was causing <laughs> vibration, right. causing the static. And they spent a month cleaning up the telescope, and then they pointed it back up the same point in space, and they got the same noise. In which case, I like to believe that they used a lot more colorful language than poop. <laughs> all along, they were collecting all of this data as they were testing the equipment, and they just assumed it was the crappiest data possible. And then they actually found out later that they had made one of the, what they would eventually win the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1978 for, is that they had actually discovered cosmic microwave background radiation, or as I like to more colorfully say, that in the big data raining down from big sky, they managed to hear the remnants of the Big Bang that work proved the Big Bang theory. And at that point in time, there was a lot of competition between the so-called steady state and Big Bang hypotheses. When I was at Bell Labs, of course, I mean, that was great lore and a terrific example of, of why data quality matters from the other side, right? Something that you can't explain, you may think of as just bad data, and it turns out to be what you really want. The other thing I think that story illustrates, Jim, is how hard it is to calibrate equipment that gathers data continuously. Well, I think one of the other great examples of both of the physics stories is just the way that the scientific community works. Part of their insight came from they actually took the data that they had collected. Forget where they took it to. They took it someplace else. I think it was the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton. That sounds right. And it was then that helped them understand through data analysis that they actually were dealing with not the static or calibration error data. They were actually dealing with something that was a very meaningful insight. And even going back to the opera example, the research director at CERN was actually defending the scientists who had published their findings back in September, saying what this shows to the public is how science works. You know, we, we share our data and we ask people for feedback to help us determine whether or not we found something significant or whether or not we need to, as they're already planning to do in May, redo the experiment to see if they can take some of these calibration errors out of the equation and determine whether or not they've actually found something that is meaningful insight or whether or not they've just found something that was an error either of data or equipment calibration. I think that's a really good point. This discussion highlights together those who say we don't have to worry about data quality and big data. I mean, it just stands in direct opposition to the way the scientific community, how seriously they treat data quality in all data issues, but in particular when they're gathering massive quantities of data. You know, that's not something that just started now. I mean, that's been something that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. So in a sense, if we're trying to use big data in the industrial community and the social media community and so forth to make those kinds of insights, make those kinds of discoveries that science has been doing, I mean, we just look at their example and hear just far, far greater attention to data quality that the scientific community devotes than we devote in the industrial community. Hey, this is Jim breaking in with a quick editor's note. That opera experiment into the speed of light was indeed thoroughly investigated in the intervening years. 
Sorry to report, science fiction fans, but we have not yet exceeded the speed of light. I will include a link in the extended show notes for anyone who might be interested in more details into exactly what happened, but as was discussed, it does serve as a relatively nice case study into the challenges of big data analytics and data science. But let's return to discussing big data quality then and now with my special guest, Dr. Thomas C. Redman, a.k.a. The Data Doc. One of the terms that's being thrown around in part of the big data craze is the term data scientist. And we hear Mm -hmm. a lot of people talking about hiring data scientists or having roles suited for it. I think it's a bit of an indicative of the fact that, like you said, a lot of this analysis has been going on for a very long time. And even in the last few decades, really massive data sets have been used in many settings, usually either scientific or by government or by laboratories. And now we're seeing it come a bit more into the mainstream where people are using it to do other types of more commercial analysis. And there's where you're seeing people who are typically not trained as scientists or trained as statisticians now using these tools. And that might be why more and more people are looking to hire, quote-unquote, data scientists or statisticians. And I think here is, again, like you said, the scientific community has always understood the importance of data quality and the importance of data analysis. But I don't think that those are mainstream skills that people are bringing to bear. And I think that's causing some of the confusion in terms of, you know, how can we actually put big data into practice? How can we actually operationalize it and use it for meaningful business activities when there's a little bit of a confusion about how we actually can infer things from our data and how we can actually understand exactly what things might mean in terms of data quality errors versus something that's an actual meaningful outlier or other insight that we can derive from data. I'm going to just build on that a little bit. I don't think that the biggest problem that any organization is going to have in the big data space is going to be technological. I think it's going to be around data quality and its processes and and building a culture. And to the degree that a data scientist really helps import some of the thinking and the discipline from the scientific community, I think that will just be terrific. I think it will be terrific, but I wonder how much it will be embraced by the business community because one of the great things about scientists is their open-minded nature. Even when we talk about things going back to the speed of light, it's still referred to as a theory, meaning that the science community is open-minded that it's possible that we could someday prove that that is not truly the universal speed limit. And a lot of other theories, like the Big Bang Theory, also function on that same premise. And so far, from an experimental standpoint, we haven't been able to disprove the theory but that doesn't mean that an alternate theory couldn't be developed that makes us have to re-evaluate what we have found previously. A lot of times business leaders in general really like to have a single answer to a particular problem, and it always reminds me of the old Teddy Roosevelt joke when he was president and he was dealing with a financial crisis. He said what he really wanted was a one-armed economist because a one-armed economist could never tell him. Well, on the other hand... You wanted one answer, and I think a lot of times business leaders say, well, yeah, do all of your data analysis and whatever you need to do and come back and give me what should we do? What's the one answer? What do our customers want or what are the things we need to be concerned about? Where is our risk? And anyone who has a solid background and is a true professional is going to come back with, well, there are lots of potential ways we could look at our customers. There's lots of potential risks that we can discern from our data, and here is maybe a rank-ordered list. And that's where people start to get confused with probability and statistics in terms of we're not telling you this is exactly what's going to happen. Here's some things that could happen that also could not happen. I think you make a really good point. 
let's face it, science and the statistics that supports it, the purpose of that is to discover fundamental truths about the universe. And we don't run our businesses to discover fundamental truths. We run our businesses to serve a customer. We run our businesses to gain some marketplace advantage. We run our businesses to make money. So there is a divergence in ultimate purpose there. And so the scientists who come in and behave wholly like scientists, I think you're right. I mean, I think they're going to run into out-and-out rejection in, in most companies. But those who seek some middle ground and seek to bring the thinking and the tools that science and statistics have to bear and apply them in the context that the business is seeking, like I described, either to serve a customer or gain market advantage, make money, whatever that may be, then those scientists will be much more successful. And those companies that embrace scientists in that way and help them find that middle ground are going to do well as well, or certainly have a better chance to do well. I think one thing that we have not touched upon, we so far we've been talking about the inferential problems associated with data quality in big data, but then there's also the operational problems. And that kind of goes like this. Well, once you've actually discovered something new, then you have to put it in use. And so that discovery then gets translated into action for this customer or for this prospect or for this product or for this process, whatever it is. Then we're going to do the following things. And those operations are no different than the operations that, that we conduct day in and day out now. And those operations are massively affected by data quality problems. Even if the inference goes perfect, we're going to still be left with the same operational problems that we have as the derivatives of the inferences that are made. And that is not going away. Ultimately, again, as the previous discussion highlights, in business, the purpose of big data is not inference. It is learning something that we then put into practice. And those problems are certainly not going away. Well, I would agree. I think right now all of the hype, and, and some of the hype is deserved, but a lot of the hype is properly focused on discussing the potential of big data. And I think what we haven't yet crossed the threshold into discussing the practicality of big data or people actually putting this to use to specific problems. I think a lot of companies, and, and some of this is, of course, used by you know, software vendors and consultants who are moving into this specialist space. But a lot of people are talking about the great potential that big data has, and I don't think anyone is counting that it has great potential, but whether or not we can actually translate that great potential into something that can help our business and help our organizations move forward, I think still remains to be seen. Because I think a lot of times folks like us who have been doing data and data quality for a long time find it somewhat, at least from my perspective, I find it somewhat interesting that when we used to talk about data, not all that many people would listen to us. But for some reason, when we put the word big in front of it, now everyone wants to pay attention to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And if all of the problems that we've been talking about for years, they're still there, even though we've put the word big in front of data. And maybe we've made the problems bigger. I don't know. But we can't ignore some of the fundamental challenges of using data in a business context uh, just because we have more of it now. Right. I guess the proper acronym would be big bad data. <laughs> or going back to my physics example, I think what we're really dealing with is the big data theory. 
definitely has theoretical potential, but whether or not it can bear out in the successful repetition of experiments that actually yield positive results for organization. Something that remains to be seen, and it's obviously going to be something that's going to vary from organization to organization. I mean, some industries might be a bit more suited for this, like financial industries with a lot of the transactional analysis that could be done, again, in terms of criminal and fraudulent activities might be a better early adopter. I mean, obviously, it actually already has been. I think last time I checked, it was a statistic that said 70% of physicists actually work on Wall Street. And that's because they're working on the sophisticated statistical algorithms that are driving stock trading. In fact, 70%, I may actually be getting my percentages wrong, but a very high percentage of stocks that are executed now are actually executed automatically by algorithms. So we already are seeing big data in those types of contexts, and some other industries might be a little bit slower to embrace it, and, and maybe rightfully so. There might not always be uh, situations or business problems that would benefit from big data and, and all of that goes along with it. I tell you, I mean, personally, I think I am the biggest enthusiast for it. I just think that the opportunity to completely recreate the economy, and, you know, this is what the information age is about. At the same time, I think it's going to be far, far harder than anyone imagined. This is, going to be, this is going to be as transformative as the transformation from the agrarian to the industrial ages were. You know, inside a company, I mean, every single assumption is going to be challenged. The way we work is going to be challenged. The way we live is going to be challenged. And, you know, and some parts are going to go faster than others. Well, this has been an excellent discussion. As I said off the top, it was great to have an opportunity to talk to the data doc. For those who don't know, your doctorate is in statistics, so this is why I was so thrilled to have an opportunity to talk to someone who actually has a professional and academic background in the scientific discipline to give us a balanced perspective on big data and in its role and also how data quality impacts it. So, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jim. Thanks for listening to Database Projections. We're available on all podcast platforms. Extended show notes for all episodes, as well as playlists of related episodes, can be found at ocdqblog.com forward slash dbp. Until next time, may the data be with you, always.